Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to Leadership Reimagines podcast. My name is Elsa Rios. And I'm Lisa Garrett, and we are the co-leads for Leadership Reimagined. Leadership Reimagined is an initiative grounded in the values of love and liberation. Our mission is to help build leaderful movements with the vision and power to transform the world. Through our coaching services, peer leadership circles, and learning labs, we create reflective, joyful, and generative space for social justice leaders to be in community with each other, share strategies, and deepen their liberatory leadership practices. We encourage you to visit our website, www.leadership-reimagined.org to learn more about us and to join our mailing list. Today, we will be exploring the topic of shared leadership, specifically the co-director leadership model. We have two amazing guests with us, Anna Connor and Kiyomi Fujikawa, the co-directors of the Third Wave Fund, who will be talking about their five-year journey as co-directors and what they have learned along the way and what advice they have for folks who are interested in becoming co-directors or currently serving in that position now. Welcome, Anna and Kiyomi. We are so grateful to have the opportunity to talk with you today. So we wanted to start out with the first question for those who are unfamiliar that will be listening to this recording. If you can tell us a little bit about Third Wave. Yeah, I could start. So Third Wave is a youth-led fund that funds youth-led organizing across the U.S., particularly around gender justice. We have a bunch of different ways that we do that, different funds that we move funds through, and it's a Bias for Us fund. And it started 25 years ago. So we just had our 25th anniversary. And so it's gone through many different iterations of what does gender justice mean? What does youth organizing mean? And so, yeah, we're at a place now that it's, we've grown significantly. We're moving like around 3 million each year to grassroots youth organizing around gender justice work in all its intersections and also fundraising for all that work too. So there's both the moving out the resources and also trying to bring in the resources and also pushing philanthropy to do better and to not, you know, do the same practices of wealth hoarding. And we have a philanthropic advocacy strategy too. Um, So yeah, I don't know, Kimmy, what you would add there. I think you covered it really well. We're a fund that resources you've led BIPOC grassroots gender justice feminist movements. And it's such a joy to be able to do that. So amazing. Excellent. So we want to start with the very beginning of this journey that you've had together as co-directors of Third Wave. Can you tell us a little bit about how you went about deciding to apply together? What about the possibility of co-leading Third Wave really interested you? So the number one thing you have to learn as a co-director is who's going to go first on Zoom and how to communicate because you get asked a lot of shared questions that you both know the answers to. (laughs) Where did we start? So the two of us had been working together at Borealis Philanthropy, knew Third Wave really well. We had both been big fans of Third Wave, cheerleaders of Third Wave. I know Anna had been on sort of the planning committee for a couple of their fundraisers. I had been, you know, very much in the mix with a lot of the strategizing with some of the program folks. We had been on different panels together, things like that. And yeah, so we were big fans of Third Wave. We saw a listing, an opening where they said, 
maybe one director, maybe two. What do you think? We have some space for some co-directors. And we had a lot of conversations that led up to that. I think we've talked about this, so I feel okay naming this for you, Anna. But I think both of us were pretty hesitant around what it would mean to lead an organization on our own. Like, I think if it had been a single model, neither of us would have really entertained it. But the idea of a co-director made it feel more accessible, made it feel more like the stakes weren't quite as much just resting on one person and that we knew we needed to grow into these roles and that it just gave us more space to lean on to each other's strengths and also be able to learn with someone and not kind of have that pressure on your own. Anna? Yeah, I think you covered it. I'm looking at the second part of this question. What about the possibility of co-leading was most interesting to us? And I think it was that, that we had the the possibility of leading, you know, by being co-leader. I think the executive director model just wasn't made for new leaders like me or Kiyomi to like come in and feel comfortable to do it solo. So it made it possible for us to have that thought partner, you know, to be able to bounce off ideas that we would grapple with for the first time in our lives as nonprofit folks, you know. Okay. You know, you talked about how neither one of you wanted to become solo EDs. I'm wondering, as you interact with other solo EDs, what you see as some of the additional fundamental kind of differences in terms of what it takes to co-lead, right? And how solo EDs operate. Just curious about what you've seen. I mean, I think it also has to do with leadership style. I think both of us are collaborative. Both of us were pretty explicit in our interview of like, one person's vision for liberation, two people's vision for liberation is actually what's going to get us free, isn't going to lead us to liberation. We actually need it to be a largely, hugely participatory project of mm. finding our roles, finding the different pieces. And so I think that piece has been really helpful for us just in terms of our style. And I think there's just a lot of weight and pressure that's put on leadership. Yeah, I know that can feel hard when it's like, oh, leaders have power. Leaders, like, you have to do what the boss says to a certain extent when you're not in leadership. But I do think there's, like, just a lot of pressure and there's so much burnout. I don't know, specifically thinking of, like, solo directors, I'm not necessarily like, oh, my gosh, you're doing it so wrong or something like that. But I think it just afforded a lot more grace. And yeah, as someone who like really needs a thought partner, it gave us that and also helped us pivot the organization in a way towards being more participatory as a whole, because there was already a model in place for shared leadership and less of like, this person needs to have all the answers all the time, which I feel like is a stance that leaders are sometimes asked to do and sometimes put themselves into. And I feel like just being co-directors gives you an option of having a different leadership stance. Can you say a little bit more, Kiyomi, about this idea of how this also was helpful to the rest of the organization in terms of shared leadership? Could you elaborate a little bit more? Yeah. So I know when we came in, one of the first things we wanted to do was like start our participatory budgeting process across the organization. You know, usually executive director, it's just like, okay, you're in charge of the budget. And maybe you ask around and be like, how much money do you need for this part of the program? Or how much money do we need for fundraising? But we actually have a process that is across staff and board to be like, 
okay, what is our, or it's an advisory council. We, we don't legally have a board, but you know, what would a successful budget look like and be able to go from there? And maybe not everyone is in the line edits exactly of like, does this get $500 or $200? But if we know a successful budget is going to move the most money to our grantees or a successful budget is going to value our staff's health and well-being. If those are the types of statements that folks are creating across the entire team, I think just builds more alignment too and gives folks a little bit more stake in some of the larger decisions of the organization. And I think that's the example that pops up. I don't know, Anna, if you have other ones or. I think that was a big one for us because again, like how we came in knowing that the vision and the purpose and what we're trying to do at Third Wave wasn't going to be and shouldn't be held by or dictated by one person or two people. Like it had to be collectively felt and have collective ownership over it. So seeing held budgets and finances and all that actually had a lot to do with what we were going to do in a given year. Like budgets obviously hold a ton of value. And seeing that as a clear opportunity to share that with the full staff in our advisory council was a shift and was something we were excited to bring as a part of our co-leadership. And yeah, I think back to the original question, one of the biggest things is just that built-in thought partnership. And it meant that, you know, if you think about the job description, you're like, oh, I want to check off all the boxes and make sure I have five years of supervision and five years of whatever, you know, it meant that we actually could be in a place where either one of us could be learning one of the pieces, but we could tap in for each other and support each other and building up that shared knowledge, which meant that we could actually do this role successfully. And I think it's a big difference from being a solo executive who's needing to really build that outside of the organization, you know, in the beginning. Kiyomi and I definitely needed so many folks, needed strategies for social change, needed our like group of folks to support us too. But we had each other from the jump in the organization to really support how we were going to do the work moving forward. Which I think also just as like intersectional feminists, there's a lot of intersections that are important to groups like Third Wave. And it's actually a setup to imagine that like anyone, any team could be able to know the lessons and know the power of all of those different movements in one person. I think that is uniquely important for feminist organizations to be thinking about because, yeah, like we're accountable to a lot of different folks and independent of even identity, representation or experience in those movements really matters. And so... Yeah, I just want to name that as being also an important part beyond the like, who knows how to do the budget or who knows how to do the supervision or whatever the different pieces are. Yeah. No, that's super helpful. You know, I'd love for you to share a little bit. I know you both were very intentional in the process and how you applied and how you shared your vision for how you would enter into the organization. I wonder if you could say a little bit about what kinds of conversations did you have about what values would drive your partnership, what practice you developed to stay aligned, to manage conflict, to foster that what partnership that you talked about. Just curious, the values that drive you as a co-director team and 
How do you put that into practice? I could start. I feel like some of our first conversations were around conflict and how we both show up in conflict, how we wanted to show up in conflict with each other if we were going to, you know, do this role together. We were going to have to acknowledge the fact that was inevitable and making sure that we both had styles of conflict that were, you know, complementary and weren't going to just escalate each other in non-helpful ways. And then looking forward at a conflict, being like, okay, what are we actually trying to accomplish here? And how can we move forward in ways that feel good and are aligned with what we're trying to do at Third Wave, you know? So I think that was the jumping off point for us. And I feel like I think about those conversations a lot because not that we're like always in conflict, but I I can come back to that as a place that I want to remain like in, you know, when things come up at the org. And I think how we stay aligned, I think a lot about how important it is that we have a coach, we have our support team outside of Third Wave. We have space just for Kiyomi and me to like get into it, like whether it's at our check-ins every week or we have retreats every year to really make sure that we are Align on all the things. And I think that space, I could see how that could quickly go and get pushed to the side, but I think it's really critical that co-leaders have that space to like really be building with their folks, especially through the pandemic. You know, some of the values feel a little bit matter of fact because we've been in relationship before this too. There was a moment where some stuff got stolen at a third wave event and we knew immediately like both of us were like no we're not going to call the police that's like a baseline that we know and have some of those things like be so ingrained that they're like almost not even a part of the question you know really matters and so it's funny because I think a lot of those feel deeply core and I think also are ones that we don't process a lot because we we know the movements that we're coming from you know we know our experiences and Yeah, just like being able to see some of that alignment and work with each other, I think, has just meant a lot of those values feel like core level understood. I wonder if you could speak to one of the things that we're exploring at Leadership Reimagine is what does it mean to practice liberatory leadership? How is liberatory leadership different from more traditional or even nonprofit type of leadership? I wonder if you could speak to how you might define that concept for yourselves, liberatory leadership, and how does that show up in your daily practice? And you've already given us some beautiful examples, but I'm curious to explore this a little bit more with you. Yeah, I would start by saying that like, maybe some of the ways I'm going to talk about this are also aspirational. Like, A lot of times what I see is a lot of leaders who are really paving the roads for each other as we're like moving down them, right? So we might be able to see the Emerald City, but each of us is contributing one yellow brick at a time or whatever, however that metaphor goes. So I could speak to some of those bricks, but I don't know if I have a clear like, and here's what it is. Here's what every path is going to be because we're seeing the ways we'll run up against a tree that's in the way that we have to navigate around or something like that. So yeah, think of this as just a different vision of like, what is our leadership for? And like, to what degree is the process 
a part of the outcome. You know, you could have someone who calls all the shots and just like, it's like my way or the highway that gets us to a certain place and be a strategy that is useful in certain times for certain things, but like maybe long-term is not going to be the strategy that we really need. I say that too, without wanting to lose actually being empowered to make decisions, to know what I'm in control over. I can make a call on this. We can move it forward. I've been a part of collectives where it can be hard to gain traction because it's like each piece is an alignment piece. And it's like at a certain point, you might have that alignment and be able to be like, okay, do we need a one hour meeting to know Monday is going to be a holiday or not? You know, something that is maybe easy to move along. But I do think being able to balance like ways that it is collaborative and ways that folks are not hampered by the process to the point of frustration or to the point of losing sight of the actual mission. Like you don't want your bank to spend two weeks cutting your check. You need your bank to move money. And so just thinking about our role particularly and like what is the pace that we need to be moving at while also, you know, being able to make sure the big picture things are ones we're collaborative on. Yeah, this question is really interesting. I really appreciate what you shared, Kiyomi about not having a clear vision for what it could look like, but understanding the ways that it can be practiced as we're building it. I think often about how we try to push the bounds of what it means to be a leader and what it means to hold leadership and how that is a part of liberating and liberatory leadership third wave are people, Kiyomi and me, the broader gender justice work, like we're all connected in this way that's like trying to actually shift the world, trying to change lived realities for people. And like, that means that actually not one person is a leader. Like we all have to own our stake in this work. And so I see myself as being a part of that, like trying to actually push what it means to own and hold on to leadership. And we've named a couple of ways of how we do that, like at Third Wave. But I think another piece to it is having space for direct feedback and trust building, whether that's within the organization or from our grantees or, you know, bigger than Third Wave. Because I do think that if there isn't a place where we can get the insights into like, how do we need to be best aligned or moving the work forward, then we're just going to stay and not actually shift or not do the work in the ways that, that it needs to be done. So I think a little bit about that too, when I think about liberatory leadership, I, that is definitely not a definition and I don't have a definition for you. I would love to hear what your definition is, but yeah. There's so much richness there to what you both were sharing. I love, Kiyomi, your statement about we're all kind of putting one brick towards that path, towards that liberatory leadership vision. And the point that you made about that liberatory leadership is also a process that is part of the outcome, like it is necessary to achieve the outcome. So I really appreciate that. And it's not an easy question. Nobody has the most beautiful answer to it. Yeah, we are all in the process. But are there like those beautiful bright spots where you say, ah, this is what it really means to, to lead with liberation, centering liberation, the practice of liberation day to day. Are there any like 
beautiful inklings that you can share. Those are very powerful in this conversation to be able to like name those. I wonder if this is something that like feels so ingrained. It's a little bit of stating the obvious, but I do feel like you can't have liberation without racial justice, without disability justice, without gender justice, without economic justice too across the board. And all of those things are very challenging to do within a nonprofit frame, within capitalist economy. And so I do think that is a big piece of it that like maybe on more of a theoretical framework, like just really needs to be a nerd in leadership. And mm -hmm. I do wonder what is it for? Who is it accountable to? How do the goals or purpose of leadership, what leadership is for? Like, is it leadership for leadership's sake? Is it leadership to transform systems and power? Is mm -hmm. it leadership to, yeah, to change who has access to different things? Because, you know, a lot of these new leadership frames will get co-opted too. So I'm like, if mm -hmm. The U.S. military showed up tomorrow and was like, oh, we're practicing liberatory leadership. Like, would I believe it the same way? And so oh. I do think like even if there are different tactics of like how you develop folks or how it's a leaderful space, like what it's for really matters. Beautiful. Okay. So think of the people that will be listening to this recording. And these are folks that are either possibly considering taking on a co-director partnership or are in it and are trying to find their way, right? And so what are those kind of juicy lessons from your leadership journey that you can share, that you feel comfortable sharing? You know, reflecting on your tenure of five years, what did you wish you knew then that you know now? Just tell us a little bit about what are those lessons that you want to share with folks that are considering a similar journey? Well, I will say for me, it's hard to think about this question outside of the context of COVID. Like right. we started as co-directors before COVID and then, you know, it was such a big shift. So obviously that's not something that we could have known, but there's so much that can shift in a matter of a day, a week, a year. And I think that is a big lesson that I've had to grapple with time and time again at Third Wave as a leader and as a co-director, like, am I ready? Is the person ready for that? And do they have the reserves enough for themselves to navigate some of the really hard things that we've all just experienced, but then also to be able to hold a team through that? You know, I think that's something that I'm grappling with and having to check for myself all the time. Like, where are my capacity levels at? Is my jar full? You know? And for the co-directors too, I feel like it was really important for us to be very clear on what our lanes were and what they weren't. And having that as like a backdrop for us to like lean up against so we could move forward in our work and not just go in circles or spiral about things that actually maybe I should just have the decision over or Kiyomi should, or we have like shared decision, but maybe advisory council member could come and support with that. Having that clarity from the beginning made it really possible for us to not just be in constant having to check decisions with each other so that some of the work can just move forward and more smoothly, you know? Yeah, I think that 
Chiefs is big. I mean, I can't stress enough how much I think conflict is normal. Conflict is going to happen. How you show up, how you move through is something that you can have some conversation about. I think also just like how important it was to just build a base of folks who could support you. And like, you know, that's a whole mix. That's like my friend who has nothing to do with work that can just hear me be like, I don't know, this is something I'm struggling about. And how do you think of it? Folks that are coaching, folks that are, you know, on our advisory board that have experience with being an ED before. What was also helpful for us, I think, was when we applied for the role, we had to have honest conversations with each other about like, okay, finance skills. Are you a 10 out of 10? Are you a 7 out of 10? Are you a 3 out of 10? And no judgment on that, but it actually made really clear our own kind of training plans that we needed to come in. Like I came in with so much clarity around like, okay, what are the things that I don't know? And I just have been through the job description with someone. So like, it's very clear and we can have transparent conversations about where we get that and be proactive about that because, you know, it has been a learning role for us, continues to be a learning role for us. And I do think the ability for us to like set 10 minutes aside and be like, okay, here's the thing I'm dealing with and just have the other person, you know, peer coach each other to be like, okay, well then what are the next steps? How are we leaving this meeting? We can only spend this much time talking about it. Like, what are the pieces that need to happen next? And I feel like that can just be so clarifying because for myself, it's easy if I'm just thinking about something to be like, maybe I'll try this, maybe I'll try this versus like leaving with kind of a tangible to-do list. I think honestly, like we're all in this work together for the most part. So I think as much as co-directors can find their support folks across the board, like you need as many folks as you can. And the more examples or ideas that you from other leaders, the stronger any of our orgs are going to be. So I feel like sometimes it's been really important to like get out of my head, get out of third wave's sort of collective head and be able to sit with folks who might see something a little bit different. I think also like as a leader, in some ways, you're the one that's charged with like setting the boundaries for an organization too. And it can be easy to like say yes to a lot of things. And I think that's something we've been cautious about or have constantly kind of learned. And, hey, this is a cool opportunity. That doesn't mean third wave has to do it or, you know, we need to say yes to it because there are so many competing priorities. Yeah. And I think to a large degree, like, um, Relationships are pretty key to how an org moves and functions. I'm constantly learning how much we need to invest in those, you know, to have a thriving organization. Beautiful. So, so incredibly helpful to hear you talk about that. Is there anything you would have done differently thinking back on, especially your first year, let's say, anything you would have paid more attention to, spent more time pondering? That first year is so important, right? It's the year of grounding. No, so, I mean, I think it is so hard because like, yeah, we had one year and then it was COVID basically. And so right. the lessons can't be large enough, but maybe they were unique to that situation too. I think there's a lot of decisions that I wouldn't have made now. And I think that 
sometimes it's worth the lesson, even if it was like, oops, that was a mistake. And like, actually how leaders show up in mistakes matter, how how folks pivot or move from places where they're like, yeah, that wasn't the move are important. So I'm, I wonder, I wonder how to navigate that. Also, like some of the things that were the biggest worries in my mind, now I like same thing will come up and I'll be like, no, it's fine. <laughs> you know? So I like also wonder if not to scare new leaders to be like, oh, it's going to get worse. But I wonder like how we keep things in perspective. I don't know. What do you think, Anna? It's such a hard question because I'm like, what was our first year? I think a lot about maybe not what we would have done differently, but I'm proud that we really prioritized building relationships, getting to know the organization, getting to know the staff, getting to know the advisory council and the history before venturing off into like, here's our big vision for everything. And actually, rather than doing that, like having a collective process or, you know, a strategic planning process to talk about that, because I think that was something that we were pushed time and time again on was what is our vision. And we were both very clear that that couldn't be something that we just came in running with, you know, and that we wanted to actually spend time to get to know what that was for the org. And so I'm really proud that we did that. And I think if I would have changed anything, I would have had more time to even build with grantees, build with our broader work, like the folks that we were funding. And I know that was actually a part of the plan was to do like, like learning tour. I forget how it was framed. And we did some of that, but I think we, in the mix of also having to learn all the things and get grounded in the role itself, didn't have as much time for some of that more relationship building. Yeah, I want to touch upon the comment that you made, Anna, about being pushed to have a vision, you know, early on. And this is so typical of what happens to solo EDs and co-director teams. I wonder if you have any advice to share with funders, stakeholders, others that kind of wanted that immediate gratification of having clarity around your vision. If you can give folks some advice around that. Yeah, it's hard because I feel like a big part of it is trying to break this idea that one person or two people are the center of what an organization is. And actually, third wave is what it is because of the depth of our history and the people who made it up and the people who we resource, you know. And so to assume that two people, brand spanking new, like coming into an org would have and be able to articulate a vision of something that has existed for so long is actually a, it's a flag for me. Like, I, I think that I would want to actually hear how those folks plan to engage with the history and the context of the org and the movements that they're funding to actually be able to state something or like have clarity around it. Yeah. I mean, part of me wonders where that nervousness is coming from and what it is for. And it is interesting, the more we do this work, the more simplified it feels like our 
mission or purpose is as an org, the more that we get into it, the more I'm like, oh yeah, we fund BIPOC youth-led feminist grassroots organizers. You know, like it's plain as day. And in some ways, I think it ties into folks wanting like a new shiny framework, like to lean into when actually the mandates that we've been given are very clear and they're not groundbreaking, right? We know what feminist leaders have been naming and sharing around Again, racial justice, disability justice, economic justice, gender justice as a whole, you know, and so just to be able to find our role within that, I think, has been clarifying and knowing that, like, we don't need to do it in a radically maybe new or different way. Like, we're actually a part of a constellation of folks that are doing that, and we can lean into doing that together versus, like, being this star on its own that is not part of a larger constellation. And so, yeah, I think about that. I do want to say too, like, sometimes I think we were met when we're like, we want to figure out what that is. We want to be in collaboration with folks. We want to, we want our vision to be rooted in visions with each other. And also knowing that like, if we're going around a circle and everyone said their vision, at a certain point, we have to say what our vision is too. And to be able to hold that, and to be able to articulate and mobilize folks around that, even if we're not saying that it's necessarily on a different tier of importance than the other folks that we're collaborating with. And there's a level of accountability with that, because if we came in and we were radically off base of what our grantees or our board or our staff were thinking, like we have to be able to come in and have a conversation about means and know that that's part of showing up accountably too is knowing that there's a way of saying well my vision isn't necessarily going to be the one that I want the whole org to hold like that has to be decided upon by a larger group and here's my analysis on what the key issues are in this moment. yeah super helpful and I'm sitting with what you said Kiyomi around this need or anxiety about the new shiny thing that new shiny concept, that new it factor for whatever reasons and what that is about. I'm really sitting with that. All right. Well, I want to move on to your decision to leave and how you went about having that conversation and, you know, your thoughts behind that, the values and thoughts that informed that decision. So when we first applied and we're in our conversations, you know, about taking this job, we had to commit to each other how long we thought we could be in this together. And we both landed that five years made sense. It seemed like a decent amount of time. We had learned from y'all even that like it takes about three years to really get grounding and understand what the role is. And then, you know, the time after is when you're fully doing it. So I think five years felt really good. It was also the time that the previous executive director had been in the position. And also acknowledging that third wave is and centers youth leadership and young folks and really seeing that as an opportunity. By five years, we could bring in more new folks and like have different perspectives on the work. So yeah, so we made that decision from the jump. And I think it's been really powerful because it's meant that our whole time here, we've had an endpoint, right? We're like, okay, so we can think about the years in this way. And if something might have shifted, 
in that time, we could still reevaluate and see, oh, okay, maybe the goalpost has moved a little bit, but we still know when we're hoping to like wrap things up. So I think that was definitely deeply a part of it. Also last year, we were talking about, oh, we could, you know, maybe we can push it a little bit farther or, you know, doing a bit of that check-in and realizing actually maybe it's also just time. We committed this and we can stick to this and not overextend ourselves and not go to a place where oftentimes I feel executive directors go to where it's like, now they're at a place where actually they really should go. So yeah, I, those are some of the things for me. Yeah, I would co-sign all of that. I think having a timeline helps you also have a vision for like when you need to get done and like just some clarity on like, okay, what can I do in this time and what should I? Of course, that changed totally with COVID, unfortunately. But I do think having that, that container helped us say yes or no to things. And I do think also just helps spread out the knowledge across the organization where there's never so much organizational history that is living in unionized minds that like isn't also getting shared out with other folks because... Yeah, you always know that the organization is bigger than any one, two, three folks, you know. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I swear every COVID year is like five times the amount of time. feels like it's that heavy and weighty in many ways. Um, and also thought-provoking, right, in terms of how we can reshift and adapt and transform in the middle of a pandemic at the same time. I have just two more questions for you. The next to last question is any final recommendations or insights, things that I haven't asked you that you think are important to share as people listen to this and consider whether a co-director journey is the right one for them? I have like a list of things to watch out for, I think, which is, I think this happens like from donors, from staff members, from... Just like really any stakeholder in an organization, anyone who's reaching out to an organization, power dynamics are at play. Like we've ever really been like pitted against each other necessarily, but I do think there's a dynamic there and having clarity of role to center back to being like, that's actually not a question. Go on about that or that's something I can do for you can be really helpful. But I do think there can be like triangulation that happens. And so like just being proactive about that, getting ahead of that and being able to be like, this is why we're doing this thing can be really big. I, I do think it is a best practice to apply together because the part that is very hard to build and train is like the trust, the relationship building, how you navigate conflict. And if uh, organization is sort of like pairing folks together, that can be very difficult to catch up on. I know folks do it and do it well, but I do think like that's part of why we're transitioning at the same time too. Some people were like, how come one of you is not staying to help the new person, you know, to help one co-director onboard and then hire the future one? And we're like, that doesn't add up with what we've seen be really successful. Other grab bag things. Remember to rest, take breaks, support each other in that. Sometimes it can be nice to have times when both co-directors are out also because it gives folks a chance to do those things that like they might do when a single executive director is out in terms of needing to figure out things on their own or have that leadership development that comes along with that. Yeah. What do you got, Anna? Let me open my grab bag. Yeah, I think I co-sign 
everything you shared. Something that was really important to us and might not be as important to folks, but I would recommend is for parts of the work that involve folks like the advisory council or a board of directors to have both the co-directors in those relationships and doing that work. Because again, underlying what Kiyomi shared around different like power dynamics at play. So if there's only one person doing the board engagement, it can set up a boundary or a power dynamic there that could become a problem. We never had that, but I think that is because we intentionally made sure that we were both doing board or advisory council engagement. And I think just doubling down on what I said earlier around being very clear on who gets to make what decisions in the org, because I think sometimes that can shift and like people need to jump in. But if there's a big decision being made about fundraising or like a budget thing or whatever, Kiyomi and I know whose lane it is, who is bottom lining it is clear. So that kind of relieves a little bit of the tension that could come up if it's like everything 50-50 across the co-directors, then y'all might have a real problem like trying to move some work forward if you're navigating a ton of conflict, you know? And yeah, that's what I got in the grab bag. Those are great grab bags for sure. You know, you are both such amazing leaders. Last question is, what's on the horizon? What are you thinking about? What are you excited for the future? We want to hear. This is where my collaborative leadership runs into a problem because people are like, okay, hey, now you get to choose what you do. And I'm like, oh no, someone help me figure this out. Yeah, it's a time when the political stakes, the stakes for social justice are like especially high. And I want to plug in the ways that our movements need, whether that's continuing to be in resource mobilization and like the philanthropy side of things. Maybe. And if it is something different, I'm excited to welcome that too. I also am looking forward to resting and, you know, having a break, but I don't know. Yeah. Elsa, Shella, if y'all have ideas, let me know. <laughs> yeah. Give us your recs, y'all. <laughs> I, same, like I would say Kiyomi and I have both been pretty focused on making sure we're setting up third waves to be in the best place it can be for this transition. So I haven't spent as much time thinking about what's next. I have spent a little bit of time thinking about where I want to go on vacation. But yeah, I've been grappling with thinking about maybe going back to school, maybe plugging in like Kiyomi shared around just like right now, the world is on fire and, you know, jumping in where it makes sense. I've been thinking about potentially like what does it mean to do like radical finance and operations work and how that would be pretty cool to do after third wave and that organizations need that sort of support so that's where I've been leaning and thinking about but haven't spent as much time as I will when we have the time to really think about what's next so but yeah. what's the vacation spot that you're mad? <laughs> okay, I'm taking Rex, but I'm like, definitely want to be somewhere on the beach. Well, it's also, we're going to be leaving in February, so somewhere warm, you know. But I'm taking recommendations. 
queer, trans-friendly beach recommendations. Send them my way. Yeah. Sounds like it's going to be fun, for sure. I just want to thank you both for taking the time to share your wisdom, to share your recommendations for other folks that are thinking about this journey. You have been an extraordinary co-director team, the Cocos, the third wave Cocos. And it's been a joy to have been part of the starting of your journey and also honor to be in this place to support the organization moving forward. So mil gracias, a thousand thank yous. We appreciate you so much. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, you know, with such transparency, honesty, and love. You know, it just exudes out of both of you. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you also. Yeah, and you were such a huge part of us starting down this role. So just shout out to Strategies for Social Change, both in this, you know, the original stage of when we were onboarding and now in this stage of getting ready to pass the baton. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. Well, this wraps up our podcast for today. Thank you again, Anankiomi, and thank you, listeners. Don't forget to visit our website, www.leadership-reimagined.org, to stay up to date on all that we're doing.